Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello, I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and you're listening to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. Today, we're joined by Warren Fun Skulkvake. He is the co-founder of the Utah Boys Volleyball Association, and this weekend, he is putting on a tournament that involves almost 700 young people playing volleyball in relatively close quarters, but he's doing so in a way that is presented with challenges from the uh, COVID environment that we live in, however, trying to do so in a way that's going to help these young people uh, participate in sports and help their families get out and be able to support their, uh, their children, and also provide uh, an example of how you can do these kinds of uh, events in a way that hopefully is, is safe and, and fun for everybody. But uh, before we get going, I, uh, Warren, I was hoping you could kind of give us a little on your background, who you are, and, and how you got to uh, you know start hosting volleyball tournaments. Well, sure, and I really appreciate the chance to be on a show with you guys. Um, yeah, so my story is I was... Uh, 20-year-old kid grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, fell in love with the sport of volleyball when I turned 16. And by the age of 20, I decided to risk it all and come to America to see if I could secure a volleyball scholarship. And I actually pulled it off. So I got a scholarship at BYU, played on the men's volleyball team, and uh, fell in love with the people, fell in love with the state, fell in love with the country, and decided to make my living and uh, my life here in Utah. So I've just been active in the Utah volleyball scene ever since. Uh, that was 30-something years ago, and uh, I'm still here. Well, talk to us, though, about making volleyball your, your living, because you didn't always uh, work in the volleyball universe, right? No, that's right. I've had multiple careers. I was actually in the mortgage and real estate industry prior to this. <laughs> um, and the money was good, but the lifestyle was horrible. So um, in 2008, 2009, when the crisis hit, I kind of saw it as an opportunity for me to get out of something I didn't love anyway and to maybe try and follow my passion. And my passion has always been not only playing the game, but also teaching the game to the next generation. Youth sports in general has been so good to me. Uh, it was my ticket to come to America. I, I've seen it affect so many people's lives for, for the positive. And um, so I decided I was going to get into organizing, growing the game of volleyball here in the state of Utah. So I run a club called Club GSL Volleyball. We're a huge volleyball club in Salt Lake County with about 800 athletes uh, that participate in year-round different events. And volleyball then, is that big, huh? It's that big. It's the high. It's the biggest high school sport amongst girls in the country, and wow. people don't know that. It's. Okay. I tell people all the time. It's the biggest sport no one's heard of. You know. So um, until the Olympics, right? Yeah. 
And to, well, beach volleyball's put us on the map. So yeah, we've got we've got the girls to thank for that. But um, so, and then about seven years ago, uh, we formed the Utah Boys Volleyball Association uh, just to see if we could organize and create some interest in boys volleyball. And to be honest with you, sitting here today, there are seven different states, over three facilities, all here in Utah, with almost seven hundred boys competing in what I would say is a, a milestone for Utah volleyball. And for me personally, to just have been working at something so hard and to, to see the community take to it like they have has been incredible. How have you, uh, dealing with, uh, as you know, we, we were kind of in this COVID environment. I mean, were, was it difficult to get this uh, event arranged? Did you have kind of pushback or uh, some uh, trepidation from parents wanting to bring their kids up? Not at all. Uh, so we, we, we organize these events sometimes a year in advance. So this thing was planned a long time ago. There's a lot of work that goes into it, just, you know, getting the word out, having, and the fact that other states have found out about us is incredible. Um, as far as the parents go, zero pushback. It's been a very big surprise to me because obviously I am terrified to be operating a youth sports event in this environment. I, I'm first to tell everybody I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I barely slept last night. I, I, I don't. I. I think we're doing the right thing. Um, if I didn't, we wouldn't be doing it. But of course, I have a lot of trepidation around it. But the support from the community, and most especially the athletes and the parents, has been overwhelming. So the fact that we said, "Hey, we're going to do something," and we had 700 people sign up and say we want to do it, knowing the risks, has been incredible. And it's not just the risks. There's actually a bunch of precautions you're taking. And yes, correct. there are somewhat precautions that people are not, maybe they don't do in their regular lives, right? But but they're willing to do them in order for their kids to be playing volleyball this weekend. Uh -huh. 100%. Uh, so we are under very strict orders from the health department to, uh, you know, we have to do things like, uh, we have to, we're, we're walking around the gym right now yelling at people for not wearing masks. And if you knew me at all, that is not our personality. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to be those guys, but we're, we in order to make this event happen, we were willing to be those guys. Um, they're severely limiting how many people can come through the front door. When you're done playing, you and your teammates have to leave the building. Uh, we encourage social distancing. We're sanitizing the volleyballs. Um, and so, you know, we're doing everything to health. We work closely with the health department, both myself as the, the event director and the facility owner. We're both very concerned, and we want to make sure we put on the best possible event while at the same time being as safe as possible. When you mentioned the health department, I wanted to ask you, so do you confer with them when you say to them, look, I want to put this event on, there's going to be hundreds of uh, young people and, and their parents, uh, do you have advice for me as to how I can do it in the most safe uh, fashion? Yes, and, and I think one of the surprises to me has been that the advice isn't that different from what you would hear, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, social distancing, please wear a mask, um, wash your hands, and if you have any symptoms, don't come through the front door. Uh, it, there hasn't been... There hasn't been more than that. Had there been, we would have been happy to jump through those hoops. But other than that, we've not. They're not asking us to do anything more, you know. So, um, in, did they try to deter you at all? No, not at all. No, thank heavens, no. So take us through, though, you know, the spring, and, I, and we only have a couple of minutes in this segment. But um, you know, from the beginning of COVID, when things were shut down completely. Um, and how you get to it, what is a, you know, a historic tournament for the state. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so we got shut down like everybody else did in March, which is right during the girls' club volleyball season. And I, these numbers might surprise you, but we have 
about six and a half thousand girls playing club volleyball from January through April. So it's a huge number of people that are involved, tons of coaches, tons of parents, tons of kids, tons of administrators. The facility owners are grateful because they're paying their bills, their mortgages on their massive buildings. So when the news struck that COVID was hitting uh, the whole globe, quite frankly, and we shut down in, in um, March, everything just sat dormant for, I want to say, we did not start resuming activities until May. And uh, I can tell you as a guy who runs youth volleyball through the course of the summer, our typical numbers are about 80 kids. And we exploded to 257 kids for our summer programming. And that told me a lot about what the parents and the kids were thinking, you know, just their willingness to go out and, and how important youth sports was to them and, and that, that they were willing to come and support the programming we were running. They were desperate to get out of the house. <laughs> I think so. I think mom was like, please, you're driving me crazy. Go play ball. But you know, look, and we all know that we're all a little stir crazy, right? Let's be honest. However, <laughs> right. I think the idea that uh, parents and uh, their kids, yourself, who are trying to organize these events to allow them that outlet and do it in a way that's safe, as long as we're able to uh, adhere to what we know are the ways to prevent uh, the spread of uh, COVID-19, then there's got to be a way that we can start to enjoy our lives as much as we can. And, and, and it has to be. What's the alternative? That to do that. That's right. Sitting at home and going stir crazy. That's what right. well, and that's because it, I should mention this. It, it, this this is a new virus, so we don't know much about it. We don't even know if you will actually be immune from it if you get it. Um, right. They're saying now the antibodies don't last. We are having cases of reinfection. So is it like influenza virus where you can be reinfected, or is it like smallpox where we can eventually come up with inoculation and have a lifetime immunity? I mean, those are things we don't know. So when you say, "Well, we'll just stay home until we figure that out." We might be home for a couple of years. For a long time. Right. Nobody wants that to be doesn't sound like a great plan. <laughs> it is not. And today we're being joined by Warren von Skulkbeck. He is the co-founder of the Utah Boys Volleyball Association who's putting on uh, a youth volleyball event with almost 700 young people this weekend in a COVID environment that is very challenging to say the least. We're going to continue our discussion with him. You're listening to Voices of Reason. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're joined by Warren von Skulkbeck, who is the uh, head of the Utah Boys Volleyball Association, who's putting on a multi-state uh, with, uh, tournament for volleyball uh, in our region uh, with almost 700 uh, young people. And is, I want to ask you, first of all, before we get to the, the question, we want to talk about mental health as, as it relates to, um, to COVID-19 and, and being able to participate in sports. Are these boys and girls, or is it just strictly boys today? Today's just boys. Okay. And so, uh, and we should mention because that's because there's high school volleyball going on right uh -huh. now that's correct. in Utah. The girls' so, club um, season starts in a couple months. What um, Amy mentioned this uh, to us when we were offline. Uh, what 
mental health is a part of this too because if you stay inside if you're unable to participate if you feel like you have uh, very little to look forward to because you you have all these restrictions restrictions in your life that it may have an impact on your psyche and just your overall uh, you know quality of life have you found that to be uh, an issue or a concern for the people in, uh, and the young people and the parents involved in your tournament yeah I, I'm kind of in a unique situation because of because of what I'm doing for a living right I I, I don't know how many other people uh, happen to have the vantage point I have right now where I, my job and my daily communication is with parents of of uh, these parents who want to send their kids to go play in a sport. So I have, I talk to hundreds of parents and I meet hundreds of kids. And, and obviously the topic of COVID has been the number one topic, right? Over the course of the last six months. And I, I think it is overwhelmingly obvious that the parents want their kids to go play sport. They want that. It's not an option. They want that to happen. Obviously they want it to happen under very, the best you know, possible scenarios and most safest uh, possible conditions. But there is no question that youth sports, even not in a COVID situation, is good for confidence, self-esteem, learning to interact with people, learning to listen to authority, like listening to your coach, learning how to win and learning how to lose. Uh, These are some skill sets that I think youth sports teaches our kids in a little mini ecosystem that they then get to go and duplicate in their lives, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just about volleyball or soccer or lacrosse or basketball. It doesn't matter what the thing is. I think our kids getting out there and competing and being able to interact socially is critical to their development and their mental health. And you don't have to be a doctor to know that. I know that, you know that. A kid sitting home all day with mom and dad, that is not a good situation for an extended period of time. It's just not. So yeah, I, we've been so supported by this and I, I actually do see the effects. The kids walk into our gyms and they're smiling and they're happy and, and um, you know, they go home with smiles on their faces and they have something relevant that they've done that day. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they got their first serving or they got a dig or they got their first pancake or, you know, it's a big deal to be able to go out and work at something and get good at something. And, so, and Warren, yeah. let me ask you, uh, interject and ask you, what role does competition play? Because well, there's a lot of people who are saying, well, kids can work out in small groups or they can go out and do things in a, sm- in a just practice or what, play against their teammates. Why do we need to have a tournament of 700 kids? Oh, my gosh, right? Um, mm-hmm. Listen, America, America is a competitive place. <laughs> being, a, being a human is a competitive thing. We compete for our mate. We compete for our job. We compete, compete for our livelihood. Learning to compete is, is a core principle and fundamental of who we are as a, as a species, I think. So uh, in large part, what we try and teach these kids is how to compete. And many times you even have to, especially young girls, you'll be surprised. Boys, not so scared of competing. They'll, they'll just throw down right away and be ready to compete. But young ladies... You know, they're, they're so shy and they're so sweet and, and it takes us a minute to coax them out of their shell, you know, these little 9, 10, 11-year-olds. And, and, and to teach them that it's okay to fight for something, I don't know if you could put enough value on that. Teaching a young lady that it's okay to fight for something and to be able to, to say what you want and how you want it and, and you're going to work hard and you have a goal and you want to get that. I don't know where you get a better experience than in youth sports to learn those skill sets. I think it's crucial and critical. Have you had much pushback from parents on the rules you've asked of them, you know, the things you've asked them to do? I can proudly tell you zero. 
I have, uh, look, I follow people's social media and I hear the grumblings. Yeah, you know, people are like, oh, whatever, like whatever. This, but, but the minute they walk through that door, if we ask them to put on a mask, they'll put on a mask. We do have to go around and remind people. I feel like people who aren't wearing their masks are not doing it because they're just like, yeah, I, you know, I'm an American. Don't bug me. Right, right. No, they're just like, oh, my gosh, it's in my pocket or, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's still around my chin or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, so. No, I think people are very supportive. People are not dumb. People know exactly what's happening out there. They understand the numbers. Uh, you know, again, the clientele, the, the parents of the kids who send their kids to youth sport are typically educated, smart, financially stable. These are people who can understand data and read data for themselves. And, and I, you know they're not sending their kids into a dangerous environment. You know that. And so we have tr- – I, I can't even – thank the community enough for their support because that's the reason I keep going. If I was getting pushback from parents, I would shut everything down. But the parents are the ones who are actually driving this because they recognize the importance of youth sports in their kids' lives. You said you conferred with uh, the state health department before you started you know, putting the tournament together. What were the kinds of things they uh, spoke to you about and did, did were, were they reluctant to have you put this kind of event on? Not at all. Um, Next week is going to be an interesting conversation based on the spikes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you know, clearly they're worried. Uh, we appreciate their concern. We talk to them. Uh, we don't want to get shut down. You know, the parents don't want us to get shut down. So, um, but it has been interesting because I would imagine with the millions, maybe slash billions spent on research and how many countries nationwide are actively working on a cure, how little we still know. Because what they're asking us to do is not different than what they're asking you to do if you go out for dinner. They want us to, they want us to social distance. They want to make sure everybody's wearing masks. They want to limit the amount of people coming into the building. They want to make sure that if anybody has any symptoms whatsoever, that they do not come into the building. And, and you know, obviously we sanitize the volleyballs. And, um, you know, the kids are no longer high-fiving the other team. That's probably a big deal. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, at the end of the game, you'd high-five the other team. Now they just wave at each other. Um, you, but but seriously, other than that, um, there's been no other advice given to us that we should be following. Interesting. I, or I guidelines. When you when you watch sports, and as I, I use uh, soccer or even hockey, which is a, a pretty competitive sport and sometimes very violent, but at the end of every game, you know, they they walk and they shake hands. Because right. Because when it when it comes down to it, it's a competition. So there's part of me that feels a little bad for these uh, young people who aren't able to, you know you know, shake the hand of the person who's, you know, competing so, uh, you know, valiantly against them. But right. in order to be safe, that's one of the sacrifices you have to do. Yep. I was yep. going to say, though, they could be like the kids. So they're just announcing today that Waterford School is going to cancel girls and boys basketball because it's indoors and they don't feel like they can hold it safely. So, you know, you every institution and, and I watched UHSA grapple with this and we can talk about it in the next segment. because I know we're close to the end of this one. Um, but I, I did want to ask if parents are having um, any anxiety about not being able to watch their kids or do they understand that's the sacrifice? Yeah, there, there's, that is a great question. And p- parents are really bummed. Uh, live streaming like Facebook Live is very popular right now. The top one. Um, it's very popular right now. But, yeah, parents are bummed because we're only allowing one 
Oh, 10 spectators per team. So if you've got 10 kids on your team, that's only one parent. You know, Usually, in, in the years past, we would have mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, the right. three little oh, kids, and the cousins right. all coming. You know, So yeah, that's, that's bummed people out. But you know, Amy, to your point, it's interesting. I was talking to some people in uh, Nevada and California, and they've opened up volleyball tournaments but shut down basketball tournaments because the reason is volleyball is not a contact sport. Basketball, on the other hand, you know, you're bumping up against people and, you know, maybe sweating even on people. But in volleyball, there's a net in the way. And um, you're not, you know, you come here with your team and you leave with your team. You actually can stay in a group and not come into anybody else's space. So volleyball is actually unique in that sense right now. Well, I'm grateful that they're able to do that in a way that uh, provides, like I said, the outlet for them. And, you know, we, we need all the, the happiness we can find in this environment we have. Oh, my gosh, right? We're, we're joined today by Warren von Skolkbeck. Uh He is uh, putting on a, an enormous uh, tournament this weekend with almost 700 kids in this COVID environment. We're finding out about what it takes to be able to have events and still be able to do so safely. We'll continue our discussion. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, joined by Warren von Skulkbeck, who is the co-founder of the Utah Boys Volleyball Association. And he's also uh, the uh, head coach for, uh, what is it? It's Volleyball Salt Lake, uh, GSL? GSL. Club great GSL. Lake. Club yeah. GSL. Yeah, we, okay. we are the Great Salt Lake Volleyball Club, Club GSL. And so, as, uh, as a tall, handsome man with an accent, uh, I would imagine <laughs> that you're able to... Uh, the moment they meet you, all, the, the, the parents are like, I want this guy uh, to coach my kids. <laughs> so have you, have you, um, have, you talked to the, have you talked to the parents? Are you stalking me on Instagram? I've not even met you. How do you know? It's not true. I, I do. How do you know I'm tall? So first of all, you're a volleyball player, and unless you're right. Karai, you're probably Way to go. Yeah, but, uh, yes. that's fair. And I, but I have gone to the BYU website, and I've looked for your picture. So um, okay. I want to ask you, though, have you, have you uh, had time to maybe talk and confer with parents about some of the uh, things they'd like to, uh, you know, the, the precautions you're taking uh, in, in trying to prevent transmission and those kinds of things? Absolutely. And parents, to be honest with you, my whole world is parents. Parents are my client. They're the ones paying to bring their kids to the program that we run. So I, I absolutely am listening and trying to keep the pulse of what the parents are thinking and doing and how they're reacting to everything. And... Um, I feel like in large part what we do is driven by the parents and them wanting what the product that we're putting out. Um, I continue to share a variation of the same language, of the same email, uh, and have been sending out the same email for the last three or four months. And it basically says, look, there is a chance that your kid might be exposed to somebody who's either has or may have had COVID in our gym. There's a lot of people in here. There's a good chance you're going to bump up against somebody that maybe has it. If you know that and you understand the risks associated with that, I defer to you as the parent to make the choice as to what to do with that information. If you want to bring your kid, we'll be here. If you don't want to bring your kid, we completely understand. And if none of you want to bring your kid, we'll shut down. Like, we get it. And I can't even begin to tell you how, uh, ironically, COVID has been good for our business. It's been good for your sports business because the parents overwhelmingly support what we're doing um, 
and, and intrinsically understand the value of allowing the kids to do something social, especially sports. So, yeah, we listen to the parents very carefully. And let me just say that I um, I think it's important to talk about the realities of transmission and say, with the caveat that this is a, a, a new virus. Um, so everything we know, we've learned in the last uh, basically eight or nine months. And um, it doesn't mean that everybody isn't trying to learn constantly. But so the, what we learn is evolving. But most transmission occurs um, between people you know. So it's you're getting together with friends and family. Um, you're engaging in some kind of social activity um, that it, it's not sitting at a desk in a school with a mask on. Um, mask transmission when both parties are, we are wearing masks or when everyone's wearing a mask are actually significantly low. So, um, but 70% but of outbreak or of infections can be traced to um, contact that the person had, a family party, uh, uh, you know, going with their family on a vacation, those kinds of things. Um, but I, I think it's also just important to look at um, every principal and athletic. I, I listen to the Utah High School Activities Association sort of grapple with whether or not they should have high school sports this fall. And, and it's important to note that the states around us did not open up sports. Uh, California, Nevada, Colorado all decided, and I believe Oregon, all decided not to allow fall sports in, in their states. And Utah went ahead with it. And they actually made this decision in July, which was the last time we had a spike. Um, and they made the decision and they said, and I saw them all sort of, you know, trying to become scientists and read scientific <laughs> studies and like we're all doing now. Um, but also about trying to balance what they see in their kids, right? They, the reason we have high school sports and, and study after study has confirmed this is that getting kids involved in a, a, a team or individual sport it gives them confidence. It um, reduces suicide. It, there's a, a whole host of positives. Um, and then the flip side of that is, are we going to make teach? Are we exposing teachers or elderly parents or elderly grandparents or some other people in the community um, to COVID um, because we want our kids to be playing sports? Um, because like every principal, I, I thought it was really profound. This one principal said, let's play because we don't know when we're going to get shut down. And um, that we shut down in the spring, everyone did, because the government asked us to. Mm -hmm. And it was devastating to kids. Kids, right. some kids didn't earn scholarships. Some kids uh, spiraled into, uh, they had, I don't remember, but I think it was 20% of the kids never even logged on and finished school. Like they had to go out right. and physically find them and figure out how to help them get credits. They, they decided not to fail people because of the difficulty of switching to online school. Um, it was just a devastating um, recognition, I think, of how complicated, you know, things are. And it's not easy to decide. So there's all these principals and athletic directors and people like Warren and club coaches. I see coaches all the time grappling with, am I making the situation worse or am I giving kids and their parents and a community a little smidge of joy <laughs> um, and, and outlet in this? Um, but, you know, the NFL has done studies on their outbreaks. They're not, the significant spreader is not the game. It is not the workouts. It is team players eating together. Um, you know, there's uh, a study the CDC did saying 70% of people who uh, had COVID in this study, I think it was like only 154 people, but they had been to a restaurant in the last two weeks. So they're learning more about the kinds of contacts um, that are spreading it. And um, most people are still saying schools are not a significant spreader. But in Utah, we have a pretty low threshold. It's 15 cases or 1%. 
and they're shutting the schools down or going online, doing a hybrid. I also have heard parents saying, what's the downside of quarantining kids every other week because their friend that they sat next to in math tested positive, right? So there are all these complicated, you know, but I'm sure, Warren, um, you have some, you said you didn't sleep last night, <laughs> um, <laughs> but some fear. I mean, it's, a, it's yes. an amazing thing what you have built. You're seeing your dream come to fruition, right? The largest men's volleyball tournament the, youth, the state has ever hosted. Right. And on the same day, we have a record number of COVID cases. I know, right? It's like winning and there's an asterisk next to your name, right? It's right. Just, it just doesn't. But let me tell you, uh, I don't know how much time we have left. Um, got about a minute. The data, the data that I've read and that the parents communicate to me tells us that uh, parents are not concerned about their kids even being exposed to it. And even if they get it, they're not that worried about it. Um, they are concerned about when the kid goes home, who they need to hang out with after that, because there's a good chance the kids are, are carrying it around with them. But parents overwhelmingly feel confident sending their kids here, and, and that's why we continue to run it. Yes, I'm, I am scared. I'm terrified. I know some people think this is a bad move. I get it. I promise. Um, but after everything's considered... We're here, and there's 700 people who think this is a good idea. So 700 kids and their parents and their coaches. So we're grateful for it. And there's some part of me that is grateful that you're able to do this because I know that if, as a young person, you always feel like every time you don't get to do something, it's like the end of the world, which obviously we know is not true as you grow older. <laughs> Except However, in this case, right? <laughs> it, it does have uh, – it has to have an uplifting uh, impact on you to be able to – have this sense of normalcy to, to do what you, you love doing and, and have your family around to support you and, and be able to support other kids in what otherwise would be a pretty challenging time just to be alive. So I, right. I, I commend you for being able to uh, put this together in a way that, that helps those kids realize those, uh, those aspirations and those dreams. Thank We're you. going to continue Thank our you, discussion Jason. with Warren von Skolkveik uh, talking about uh, how to live in a COVID environment and still put on uh, large-scale sporting events. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're speaking with Warren von Skolkveik, who is the co-founder of the Utah Boys, uh, Utah Boys Volleyball Association. And he's also uh, a coach. And he's got a tournament going on this weekend with almost 700 kids, 690 kids and parents. And this is a COVID environment. So doing so takes some, a whole lot of planning, a little bit of courage. And just the, the notion of giving people an opportunity to, to have what is otherwise uh, some normalcy in what has been the least normal year. 2020, yeah. can, I can't wait till it's gone. I mean, it, it right. has been quite yeah. the, the nutty time. But, uh, you know, uh, Amy mentioned that there's been this kind of debate about what, should we be having these kinds of youth sports and other kinds of events when in some cases we, we have um, medical uh, you know, professionals who feel as though we can't even do some of the surgeries that we like to do mm-hmm. because uh, of the the risk posed by uh, contamination and, and possible transmission. Well, not not just that. Like, the hospitals are so full right now. University of Utah is at 99% capacity in their uh, ICU uh, beds. And then the state, well, statewide, is 73%. And so they're canceling things like cancer treatments and screenings and things that 
I feel like are pretty vital uh, services, right? right? And and some of the criticism is why are we still having high school? Because high school football playoffs are tonight, and um, we've had cross country tr- uh, championships as well as uh, girls soccer tournaments as well, and in the high school universe. And one of the things someone pointed out was why are we having youth sports? And I mean, I'll let Warren respond to it first, and then I have my own thoughts on it. What, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts about yeah. that kind of a, a criticism or parallel? Well, first of all, let me just say the healthcare workers are the heroes right now and to be and to be in any kind of leadership position i am I, I bet i have a i have a small fraction of the anxiety that maybe the doctors are feeling and the nurses are feeling and maybe the leadership the people in government who are the health department for example the governor the leadership the people who are having to make these decisions must i don't know how they're sleeping at all so so i completely understand i and i completely understand the other side of this debate i uh, I get it. I really do. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, the the parent is an informed consumer. They're not these idiots who are out there signing contracts they don't understand. Um, no one's trying to pull the wool over their eyes. It's not like they think they're the only kid in the gym. You know, um, they understand that sport involves maybe you're going to break the six week, the six foot thing you know periodically during a game of volleyball for example so these parents are not idiots and the parents are choosing in massive numbers to support their kids abilities to go out and play youth sports and so i i feel like um i feel like i defer to the parent who who is smarter about a kid's health than than the parent of that kid right so So I defer to that. I in no way, shape, or form can be like, look, I think your kids are in danger. We're shutting this down. No. If, and, yeah. And yeah. speaking of studies, there was a study released just this week that uh, uh, 80% of teens have reported some kind of distress, uh, mental health issue, um, since COVID shutdowns and precautions have begun. Um, yeah. So the, the reality is that kids are really, they're suffering in a lot of ways. Yes. And, and so we have to sort of pick, at times... We have to make the best decision of risky decisions, which is life, right? Stepping yes. outside on the porch, there are risks involved. But I would say this. The criticism that we're canceling surgeries, why are we having youth sports, is to me the very definition of a false equivalency. Now, I understand that people are going to say this is going to spread. People are going to get it. So, And it brings it to our community. It takes it back to somebody else's community. But uh, they have shown repeatedly through contact tracing that these are not super spreader events. That if precautions are taken and people abide by them and they don't go and socialize outside of your tournament or their team event, you know, where the team is staying, if they if they follow the rules and they and they restrict themselves somewhat, which I talked to some of your coaches and they said the kids have learned to make sacrifices socially because they want to play sports. So they're not going out there, friends, and they're not doing the things they would normally do because they want to be healthy and they don't want their team has been shut down a couple of times. So they don't want to shut it down. They want to play in a tournament. So to me, um, saying it's the, it's the hospital's decision who they take and who they're treating and, um, and who, and, and how they prioritize those other tests. Um, you know, the cancer screenings and stuff like that, that that I think there are ways for them to do those safely and not cancel those. I understand they only have so many personnel and, that the real issue is we have fewer trauma units today than we did at the beginning of this outbreak because people are just exhausted from seven months of okay. dealing with this. Well, and we have overwhelming data that says that the, that, that the kids are not being affected by this. So the parents know that. 
This, the one thing we know about this virus, unlike any other virus we've ever faced, is that it, it actually has a demographic that it's dangerous to and a demographic that it's not dangerous to. In, in, by that standard, the flu is, is I'm not going to say more dangerous because that's way too controversial. But the, but, but and it's the, oversimplification of it, but it, but it, is, yes. it, it doesn't have that same. So you, if you can protect vulnerable populations, which yes. has always been our goal, right? Yes. Then, yes. You could, then kids can do these kinds of things, right? And There's, we know who that population is. We know who's vulnerable. Absolutely. So if I've got grandma, I, if I send my kid to a tournament, I'm probably not going to let my kid hang out with grandma yes. until I make right. sure he's feeling good. You know, so there are some control mechanisms. And again, leadership, I think leadership, thank heavens for Utah leadership at this point, because they've still given the, the population and the parents the choice. Yeah. And unlike I do, other states. One other thing, Warren, and before we run out of time, I wanted to hit was the economics of this, because one thing that um, I think is really hard for me, I mean, I just read about a, a restaurant study that. 40% of independently owned restaurants are going to go out of business. They won't make it, right? Yep. Um, and that breaks my heart. Yep. I don't want to spend my time eating it does. teams all the time. So you're a small business owner. What's this been like for you? And, and you know, are you going to survive it? Events have been really hard hit. Very much so. Um, you know, so we're, look, we are a small business. We employ 45 coaches. 20 of those coaches are year-round. Um at this tournament, for example, we've got 17 courts running, which means we've got 17 officiators working all of tonight and all day tomorrow. Every single team has a coach. So you've got 69 coaches, and typically there's an assistant coach. So even in the small little world that we have, uh, and then, of course, you've got the cleaning crew and the guy who owns the building and the people you know, uh, registering people at the door. Even in my small little ecosystem, it's a massive financial benefit to run events like this. And if we get shut down, um, there's a lot of people that just maybe don't pay rent next month or maybe they don't eat or, you know, there is a financial consequence to this that sometimes, you know, in light of all the, the terrifying information out there, the other side of that factor is we have to keep going because we don't have massive savings accounts. We have to keep working. No one's given us a check if we don't work. So I don't know if people talk about that side of the equation enough. And I'm a huge app. I have to work. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to do so. Listen, I want to say thank you to Warren von Skokvik. I'm going to say, I, for the first time, I, I know up. you are doing so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Warren's you could just say Warren. I'm just going to say Coach. Warren Thanks, Coach. Had his name yeah, Coach. For many years Coach V. Here. Yes, uh, Coach. Oh, well, I'll yeah. do that. Coach V. Then, uh, <laughs> Coach yeah. Warren Fun Skokbake. Uh, thank you so much, Warren, for joining us and, and offering your insights and continued success to you. We we want you to succeed, not just because you've been a guest on our show, but because you're doing uh, the kind of work and the, the, the kind of thing that can help kids uh, be better in their lives for, for the rest of their lives. And thank you very much for that. Join us again for the next thank episode you. of thank the you for the Project, Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast and all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We'd love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep the dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.
Voices of Reason is a production of the Loud Mouth Project. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.